and welcome to LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. I'm offering you a backstage pass to one of the UK's great symphony orchestras and its musicians, the London Philharmonic Orchestra. In this episode, we're back chatting over the internet and asking about what it's like to have a job which is far from being a nine to five. I'm joined by harpist Rachel Masters, Tom Watmo, who plays the clarinet and horn player Martin Hobbs. Welcome, Rachel, Tom and Martin. Hello. Hello. Hi, thank you. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely to see you all. I'm going to go straight to you, Rachel. Could you uh, speak to me about what would a normal day in the LPO be like? I know that at the moment schedules are a bit different, but what would a normal day entail? Oh, you've got me there. (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, been a while. (laughs) I I I was just thinking about what you're talking about normal. I mean, we don't work a nine to five job, but you see, for us, what we do is our normal. I've never done a normal job. I don't know what one is. I should imagine I would be a complete nightmare in an office. <laughs> Not that I'm being rude towards anybody who, who has a, a sane lifestyle. I can't compare what I do to what other people do because I've never done it. I feel the same way. But for those that don't know what a musician's job maybe it might entail. Martin and Tom can contradict me freely, but if I was to describe my work so-called pattern to somebody who hadn't any idea, I would say that obviously all we do is the concerts every night. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you've got the concert, you've got um, varying hours of rehearsals. Now, with the LPO, if we've got a Grand Fromage conductor, we will have maybe two days of rehearsals, which will be broken down into two three-hour slots on each day. So you'll have six hours on the first day, six hours on the second day. And on the third day, on the third day, um, (laughs) in the the morning you would have a three-hour rehearsal and then you have the afternoon to apparently rest and then in the evening you have the concert. Then you go home and you probably get up the following morning to start rehearsing the second programme that we're doing that week, which we will rehearse on Thursday and Friday and do a concert on Saturday. It's not unusual to have two different programmes. And so obviously you come along fresh as a daisy on Thursday morning, raring to go. That is about as regular as we get. But It's much more variable than that. Sometimes you rehearse in the afternoon, sometimes you rehearse in the evening, sometimes it's morning and afternoon, sometimes it's afternoon Mm. and evening. Sometimes we have recording sessions that last for several days and and other times we're resting. (laughs) And for me, it's particularly variable because as a harpist, I'm what you would call an at-risk player. And Mm. by that, I mean maybe myself, the Cor Anglais player, lovely Sue Bowling, Paul Richards, our bass clarinetist. Not so um, lovely. Tu- tu- tuba, <laughs> lovely, lovely Lee. You know, we are at risk because we can be bored stiff or scared stiff. And I see, we're in also at, at risk because obviously, if they're doing a classical programme, Beethoven, Mozart, Haydn, Schubert, Schumann, anything before about 1830, I won't be on it. I see. So um, I can. You know, I'm very, very subject to the repertoire that has been programmed. <laughs> and both to Martin and Tom, have you had any other jobs outside of the LPO? Or has this been sort of your trajectory and been your life, so to speak? Tom? 
I used to be in the RPO before the LPO, uh, joined the LPO in 2014. And that's an amazing orchestra that, that works in so hard as well. My life has been playing the clarinet, I'm afraid. it's just, No, don't just, be afraid. That's that, beautiful. Yeah. It's a celebration. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And is it the same with you, Martin? Um, yeah, I've always played the horn. Um, haven't really, not really qualified to do anything else, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I was very lucky to get my first job whilst I was still at college. I was at the Royal Northern in Manchester and had a job with the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic. And so I was there for 18 months um, and then moved to the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra and had a fantastic five years there. And then, you know, very lucky that the, the job in the LPO came up, which was 1994. Five, I think so. A long time ago. Wow. Yeah. So very nice. And you know, there's there's nowhere I'd rather be. Well, actually, I, I nearly gave up. That's interesting. Why? I had young children, and I was in my early forties, and I thought, hang on a minute, is this what I want to do? Uh, mm. I was just having a bit of well, a, yet another crisis. Really, I uh, had a very very quiet schedule that year because. We were working with Kurt Mazur and he was doing a lot of Schubert and you know, I was basically had yards of free time. And um, I uh, started doing a PGCE for primary education. Right. And I stuck it for about six months and actually I learned a huge amount. And one of the things I learned was that actually I could cope much better at getting on stage and playing to 2,000 people than I could to entertaining a class children. of 30 kids. <laughs> And I also discovered that I did actually want to play the harp because I think as a young person, there are many reasons why you take up a musical instrument. I just had to examine that mm. whole thing. Also, the educational skills that I learned were very useful because uh, we do a lot of community work as well and educational work. And so it was a very life-affirming thing to do. And do you enjoy that, actually? I've, I've heard uh, a little bit about the work you do outside of the concerts and sort of giving back to the community, giving back the gift of music to young people and, and people that aren't familiar with the orchestra. Martin, do you enjoy that side of the job as well? Yeah, it is really interesting going into, into classes. Mm. used to do a lot of the education work, less so more, more recently. And it is, it is good fun going off into groups and seeing what the children can come up with and what gets them inspired and also you can you can go into a class and they've probably never seen these instruments before if you go in with a, a horn or a, or a bassoon or I've done some projects with with harpists as well and that's, that's they're always pretty, dodgy yeah. <laughs> 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 it's it's interesting to see their reactions when you play and of course they all say oh can you play the Simpsons mister you know can you play Star Wars or that kind of thing absolutely yeah, well, actually that's quite hard <laughs> <laughs> I know, I learned that very early on. Make yes. sure you got those in your back pocket, a bit of Peppa Pig as well. <laughs> and talk to me a bit about sort of a different day. So it might be a day off or a day that doesn't entail working towards a performance. What else does the LPO offer to you, Tom? Well, I'm, I'm an avid practiser. I kind of have to be, I think. I sort of feel a bit like uh, um, everybody else in, in the section. It's, it's, the whole thing is it's like a a racetrack and real at full pelt but um my colleagues seem to be driving around in bentleys and ferraris and I, <laughs> it feels to me like i'm in a mini metro from 1981 
I need to constantly give it an oil change and kind of retake the wing Tom, mirrors. I've to always the, thought of you so as a Lamborghini <laughs> guy. <laughs> Absolutely a oh, Lamborghini. You fibber. You <laughs> I have to say, I, I sit behind Tom in the orchestra and, and I'd say Lamborghini as well. I mean, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You should oh, smell that exhaust. Sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the exhaust training on the ground, that's right. Yeah, so I practice a lot in my time. And what do you do for those practices? Are you practicing the repertoire or are you practicing no. just to get your body in connection with your instrument? This is another amazing, amazing thing about this work is that you'll never stop learning. Mm. You'll never be the finished product. I, I find that the older I get, in some ways, my, my learning kind of accelerates. So I, I find that really interesting. I'm a clarinet nerd, I'm afraid. I enjoy it. Um, my kids don't enjoy it. They, oh, will you stop that racket? <laughs> stop, stop, Dad. You know, we've got a teenager, who, Grace, who uh, is driven mad. Oh, her bedroom is very close to my practice room. And Rachel, have you ever thought of another instrument? It's interesting what Tom was saying about always learning. I mean, sometimes I just feel like, oh... Ah, yes, you know, just just beginning to get a handle on this because, you know, it's all about uh, learning to blend and listening. It's all about sound, isn't it? Yes. And to play a phrase on the harp when you ain't got no bowl, when we go into an orchestra, we have to learn to breathe with the orchestra. Yes. And it's only by listening to these Lamborghinis that you learn to turn a phrase. Because what Tom and Martin, what you do naturally, I, I've learnt so much from listening to other people. And, you know, and the way a, a violinist or a string player places a bow on the string, they breathe before they play. And so now I breathe before. And I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty basic, isn't it? You know, duh, I've been in the orchestra for over 30 years and now I breathe before I play a phrase. I mean, hello. <laughs> many, many times I've, I've been frustrated that I play the harp because I'm not a harp nerd. I do find it encouraging and interesting to hear you speak like this because I always look at musicians in orchestras and you put any sheet music in front of them and you can play it almost like a computer could read uh, any ah, anything that, that you so put untrue. in a Word document. <laughs> you should, I think it's you fantastic. But, but the hours that we spend at home preparing the ruddy stuff. <laughs> we never see that. That's the whole point of this podcast, you see. <laughs> but I'm, I'm very interested in... When you find those tricky bits, do you have sort of sessions with other musicians or lessons from a mentor or anything like that? Or do you find that now as a musician, you're on your own and you have to find those discoveries and uncover those truths yourselves, Martin? I mean, it it is a slightly funny thing because if you're like a golfer or someone, you would have a coach or a tennis player, you'd have a coach. Um, yes. sportsmen that that kind of thing but I think with with musicians you you do get to this stage and I think maybe further the further you get down the line it's sometimes harder to ask for help if yeah, you're struggling it um, is. Yeah. Uh, you, you know to actually go to someone you you don't know and say help <laughs> um, yes. but it's, it's it's good to have great colleagues I mean it's, it's such an important such an important thing and Rachel you tell me about these hours that you have to practice sort of behind the scenes and off stage to have the repertoire under your fingers, so to speak. But where do you find the time? If you're doing all of these rehearsals, working on the repertoire sort of months in advance, where is the time to play for yourself or to work on repertoire by yourself? Well, honestly, I don't have to learn the repertoire I used to. If I cast my time back to my 20s and my 30s when I was either freelancing or when I joined the orchestra in 1989... 
At that stage, I was very, very much learning the repertoire. And I've got my archive. I mean, harpists are very protective of their harp parts. And you you like your own notation. You like your own peddling. Um, you write things out enharmonically. Uh, over the decades, I've now got my archive of, you know, so we're doing, we're doing Strauss-Heldenleben. So I will go and get my part and put it on the stand and I will have my peddling. And so that's a great time saver. Ah, you, yes, always, you always keep a record of everything you've done so that when it comes round again, you don't have to put the darn peddling in again. I do have a very, very consistent warm-up routine, which I probably bore the pants off everybody with at work. But for me, your, it's been I an can absolute... see your colleagues smiling. It's been, it's been an absolute... Like it. Oh, I like it's it. Nice. Um, it's been an absolute bedrock for me. Because, yeah. as a, again, as a harpist, because you're not in all the repertoire, when you go to work for six hours... You can find yourself playing for six hours or you can find yourself hanging around for five hours and playing very little. And you can very easily get out of condition and also your fingers soften. So I've got a routine that I stick to religiously. I call it my housework. And I do it whether I'm at work or not. And uh, these days, because I'm coming towards the end of my career, my main objective is to sustain the standard of my playing and keep myself going for as long as possible. So you were talking about going into schools. Rachel, how were you involved? Well, I went into schools quite a lot with one or two other musicians a few years ago, kids from five to 18, and did quite a lot of stuff there, working with kids, getting them to play musical instruments and just think imaginatively about sound, which I think was hugely valuable to a child's education generally. Then we also did things for elderly people, physically disabled people. But there was one particular project that really blew me away, and that was working for crisis. And we were working with homeless people who had been on the streets. And as homeless people, they'd lost the ability perhaps to mix with people. Yeah. They'd had lots of issues, obviously, with their own personal issues. And we were composing music, which concluded in a performance at the Royal Academy of Arts. Oh, wow. And it was, for me, a very, very moving experience because I realised that there is no such thing as an average homeless person. Yeah. And they come, they, you know, we, us, you know, there but for the grace of God go so many of us. And um, these were people who'd really hit the bottom And they were on the way up with Crisis, this marvellous charity, Mm. and rediscovering that they could, that, yes, I can, you know. (laughs) It was wonderful, and it was such an enabling project, and you saw people just through music Mm. and working together with other people with poetry and music, putting themselves back together. And that was fantastic. It does, it does tell you more about the the power of music but also for the musician I think it's all part of when you create music you need to have that empathy you need to have those visions of of what people are going through. It was fascinating because when you know I felt quite embarrassed about walking in there with this big harp you know a bit glitzy and my Surrey accent you know and then and you know there, there was a little bit of on, on the first day, there was us and there was them, and they were thinking, well, no, you've got to be joking. And we were thinking, oh, my God, what do we do here? And gradually, o- over the weeks, we merged and we realised that actually we were much closer together Absolutely. than we realised. And just by talking and communicating and 
enabling them to express themselves and for them to be listened to and taken seriously and given the time of day. And um, it was it was fascinating, and I shall never I shall never forget it. I learned so much from those lovely people. Oh, thank you so much for sharing, Rachel. It's so encouraging to know that the LPO does that and goes out into the community. And talk to me a bit about your hobbies, then. So we know what your a day in the life of a musician in the LPO is like. But what excites you, Martin? I know you've got some interesting stories to share uh, about <laughs> cycling. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I'm quite into my cycling. Cycle, yeah, whenever. I can um so a big part of the year for me is riding down to Glyndebourne um, where we play in the summer I live in Kent and been doing that for a long time 18 19 years I guess how long does it take you to cycle over it's it's about an hour and a half um, but it's a lovely route yeah over the Ashdown Forest and uh it's 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 nice really really good yeah, so it's kind of my favourite time of the year when yes. when Glyndebourne starts and, uh, you know, first ride down there on the bike. It's always always really nice. Yeah. And all the girls have a great time watching all these blokes turn up in Lycra. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Perks I, of the job. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the only one that does it. So, they're, they're, so how many of you cycle down together then? Um, in the past, we've, we've had sort of four or five. And on the way back after a show as well. So that's sort of been, been quite nice. Um, very yeah, nice. a few of us. Um, and Tom, there's a there's a lovely um, pub or two up the road from the Opera House, isn't there? Oh, I wouldn't know. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. It's far too professional. And what would be one of your hobbies, Tom? Aside from playing the clarinet, I know it's a hobby and a job for you. I've not really got many. Really. I used to do a little bit of oil painting, but absolutely terrible painting. Oh. I say, really bad, actually. I didn't know that. Yeah, with my self-portrait, it was like the portrait of Dorian Gray because it took me so long. I was actually ageing and I was painting in lines. <laughs> Before your very yeah. eyes. <laughs> but I, must, I must mention uh, my, my esteemed and beloved ex-principal. He retired from the orchestra in 2016, Bob, because his hobbies were quite fascinating. It used to breed stick insects and sell them to the local wow. <laughs> local petrol. He also played conkers with another middle-aged man at the bus stop, and he uh, pickles onions. Oh, so I he fill, fill, apparently he, his wife, poor poor things, has to put up with boiling vinegar <laughs> like one, once a year, pervading that entire house. Aww. Yeah, he, he's a very interesting fellow with with hobbies. I'm I'm not so interesting, I'm afraid. The kids, <laughs> but you the have kids. A, a yeah. the kids. Yes. Well, you shared that you have a family life as well. Is it easy to juggle that and being a touring musician? It is hard work with a with a little one, particularly who demands that you play with her all the time. Come and play with me. Come no, I'm just gonna just I'll be there one <laughs> second. Let me just try this phrase more time because I've got to practice. Does she understand your job? Does she understand what it means? I think more and more, gradually, yeah. Both my kids, uh, yeah, they, that, that's all they've known. And my eldest daughter, her, her mother is um, an opera singer so who's been all over the world. So she's known, oh. known nothing but this kind of life. Yes. And would you recommend it to them uh, as a job? Um, I'm not sure I would anymore, to be honest. <laughs> it's it, it's been wonderful for me. Uh, I've travelled, I've met the most amazing people. I'm surrounded by incredibly talented people that I admire so much I sometimes can't speak. I would love them to know what that's like, to be honest, but I'd certainly not push them them into it. Absolutely. My boys are, are sort of pretty grown up now, but certainly when they were when they were very young, you'd go away on tour for a couple of weeks yeah. and 
you come back and they changed completely, um, you know. But also, you know, having time free during the day um, when they were little, you know, preschool was was good because you got to spend time with them, you know, when maybe if you worked nine to five, um, you, you wouldn't really see them. That's um, true. So maybe that was a sort of a, a plus side. Rachel, tell me about some of your hobbies. Oh, golly. Well, um, for many, many years, I didn't have time for any because um, I was practising the harp. And then, of course, I was practising the harp. <laughs> and then I had two young kids. Uh, we had two young kids, I should say. And, you know, I was a little bit busy and juggling young children with an orchestral schedule. I mean, juggling young children anyway, you know. Yes. So challenging. And I didn't have time for any hobbies. And my husband kept on saying, Rachel, you need a hobby. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, OK, fine. But, you know, when? <laughs> um, so... Now that our kids are in their 20s, I've sort of made a decision to try and think about where I'm going with everything. And one of the things which I absolutely adore is making pottery. And when we moved here, I set up my own, you can call it a studio if you like, but actually it's a shed. I've got a shed. It's a studio. It's and a studio. every good marriage needs a shed, at least one. Needs a man and cave. A man cave and a woman cave, yeah. Yeah, and, and, Andrew's got his area. I've got mine. It's great. We never actually have to talk. Um, I've got a wheel and a kiln, and, I, and um, I've been doing it for about five years now. Wow. And I get a huge amount of satisfaction out of doing something. Hey, this is interesting. I'm going into a room on my own, spending yes. hours... Practicing something, doing something with my hands, producing something from basically a lump of mud and hopefully creating something that's vaguely attractive. And it's nothing to do with music. Can you? That's mm. what I'm thinking. I All find of your that hobbies. really, really great. Yes. Um, it's having and, that and work-life the, balance, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, it's very, very hard to get a work-life balance. Um, mm. And uh, it, hallelujah, I'm beginning to feel as I'm perhaps getting one. But um, the other thing which I've found tremendously therapeutic about it is, as a musician, there's this huge pressure when you're playing, you know, a concert, you know, live music, da da da, microphones here and there, mm. get it right, you know. Yeah. Well, the thing is, when you make a pot, it can go horribly wrong, and it's very, very good for you. You yes. learn. You can learn that you make something, it goes horribly wrong. You make a mistake, so you scrap it and you start again. It sorts me out. <laughs> and would you, you, you equate this to sort of you winding down and uh, sort of making your way uh, into the next phase of life. But would you recommend that the younger players in the orchestra do try and find that work-life balance? I mean, it is a lifestyle choice and it's, and it's a vocational thing. And you don't think about work-life balance when you're young. Yes. When I was young, I thought, oh, I wish I wasn't a harpist. It's so boring. I'm not with anybody else and I haven't got any repertoire. Now I think, my God, I'm so time. lucky. Yes. Because yes. I've got more time. I've got days when I'm not required and I have got time to think about other things. But I still feel sometimes that I'm still only just beginning and learning. But the time will come uh, at some point when my fingers won't work anymore. It's as simple as that. Anybody can work and walk in and sit in our seats mm. anytime. We are very, very replaceable. There are many people out there who are fantastically good. Mm. And to assume that you, 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 you know, yes. are going to be there forever is that is fool's gold. Is that a pressure then, Tom? I can, I can hear you sort of agreeing there. Is there a pressure 
to keep your seat or do you feel that sort of confidence that I am I am where I am and I will stay here? No, I, I certainly don't feel feel that confidence. I'm, I'm very aware that there are so many great players out there that could in many ways play better than me. I feel such a responsibility being in this orchestra that I do as well as I can. I don't yes. always get it right, but I, I feel that very heavy sometimes. Has there ever been a time when you're on stage and you're thinking, they have no idea what we've been through to get to this point? Uh, I there... think I might have felt that once or twice. Yes. <laughs> what would you have loved to have said to them at that time? They should see the chaos, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we don't always look this prim and proper, you know. You know. Yeah, you know I, think, I think, yeah, well, actually, you know, the, talking about being prim and proper, you know, we're on stage, we've got our, our makeup on and our, and our blacks and whatnot, and we look smart. That's the glamour, guys. It, that's it. There's no more. That is the glamour. People say, oh, what a glamorous life. Yeah, that's the glamour, OK? What I would say, actually, which is particularly salient at the moment, is, my God, we've missed the audiences. Yes. Definitely. I mean, we have so missed the audiences. It is so hard going out there and giving your all to an empty hall. Yeah. It is counterintuitive. It's why I don't really flourish in the recording studio because I know some people do. I don't. I need I'm the same. an audience. I need that fizz in a hall. And one of the things which absolutely fascinates me about all this is that at the end of a concert, I'll go on stage and I'll pack up the harp. The hall will be empty. And I will think, well, half an hour ago, this hall was rocking. Yeah. And now, unless you'd actually been there, you would have no conception of that particular atmosphere at that particular moment that was created by a combination of the musicians and the audience listening. Yes, yes. It's, it's you know, a magical moment. They may think they're sitting there listening. Actually, they're doing much more than that because they're helping us to focus and really give of our best. And um, I can't wait to have a full hall again. Even half full yeah. hall. <laughs> Rachel, that is yeah, an absolutely beautiful yeah. sentiment. That is exactly <laughs> what every musician yeah. is feeling. You've summed it up in a nutshell. That was absolutely beautiful. There's just some, there's something about that moment, isn't there? You know, when the audience are chatting away and then, you know, we tune and the lights go down and then they just suddenly get quiet. And then there's just that sort of tension there, yes. you know, which, which isn't there at the moment, you know, just that sort of... <laughs> and then you realise you're looking at a different yes. piece from everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and then the oh no. <laughs> Oh, well, no, thank you so much, Rachel, Tom and Martin, for sharing all those beautiful insights and keeping it real about what it is like day to day being a musician in the LPO. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks again to Rachel Masters, Tom Watmo and Martin Hobbs for all of their insights into what life is really like as an LPO player. And if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Just use the hashtag OffstagePod. Thanks very much for listening and do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage where we'll be deep diving into Sibelius's Fifth Symphony. I hope to see you there. 